Hello and welcome to the I Know Nothing About Beer podcast. I am your host, Al the Brewer, and I am so glad you are listening today. This podcast is for anyone that wants to learn more about craft beer and the culture that surrounds it. Whether you're brand new to the scene or a vet of craft beer, I hope you find something to take away from this podcast. So, pour yourself a beer, pull up a bar stool, and enjoy. Cheers. Hello and welcome to the I Know Nothing About Beer podcast. I am your host, Al the Brewer. How in the world are you doing out there in podcast land? Hope you're doing well. Thank you very much for joining me. I am, uh, well, we'll get to the episode just a second, uh, but I am drinking a obligatory beer mention here. Uh, the Tups DDH Series 10 and with uh, passion fruit, orange, and guava. Oh, man, I almost screwed that up. Um, it's tasting good. It does, um, as much as I do like these fruited IPAs, um, this seriously just tastes like passion fruit, orange, and guava uh, guava juice. Uh, not a bad thing. Um, but I do um, I think my next beer is just going to be a straight-up West Coast piney something IPA. Mm. Although this is very good. Anyways, how are we doing out there in podcast land? So good to have you guys back for this episode. Um, I really do appreciate each and every one of you taking a listen. Uh, today's episode, I'm excited because I got to sit and talk with my buddy Paul from Illicit Ale Works. Paul, I've gotten to know through the different uh, various, um, what are they called, social media groups um, that I'm a part of. And uh, we've met at Shares. Uh, and this was, uh, the second time that Paul and I actually had a really good long conversation. We had recorded try one and the audio file decided to say, screw you. And so I was like, Hey, do you feel like meeting up and having more beer and talking more about beer? And I mean, that's, that's a hard, you know, hard proposition with Paul. So, uh, we sat down at Tups and, uh, so you'll hear a little bit of background noise there. I tried to cancel it as much as I could, but, um, we cover everything from his want and desire and his ultimate goal to start up his own brew pub called Illicit Ale Works. And I'm drinking out of uh, a little glass that he has with the uh, symbol, his little logo and the Texas flag on the back. And then uh, really cover just a bunch of different topics. Um, if you're into home brewing, if you're into geeking out about uh, a little more about what it means to be craft beer and all that other good jazz, this is a great episode for you. So uh, I'm not going to keep you too much further from this episode uh, other than to say thank you again so much for listening. I really appreciate you. Um, as always, rate, subscribe on the Apple Podcast, on Spotify, Google. Um, actually, the one I, I use is Pocket Cast, and I don't know if you know that uh uh, podcasting app. Uh, I'm not getting paid to say this, but I love them. They're so good. I love that app. That um, that uh, app. Um, and yeah, no. I, I uh, where else can you find me at? Email. That's another one. Uh, Owlthebrewer at gmail.com, or you can go to I know nothing about beer.com. Okay, hold on. Pause for the burp. And there we go. Okay, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining us today. Um, we've got a whole couple, we got a couple more episodes before the end of season one. And then, uh, yeah, I'll give a little episode at the end of that to see, uh, give you a little more round out of what is going to be going on with this podcast, uh, in for season two, cause season two is definitely happening. Um, anyways, thank you again so much for joining. 
Uh, I really appreciate you. Uh, I'm just about done here. Please rate, subscribe again. Al the Brewer on all the Instagrams, Twitters, Facebook, and all that. And uh, shoot me an email. I'd love to hear from everybody. How's this podcast going? Does it suck? Um, does it is it great? Is it a part of your daily drive? And you can't wait for the next episode. I would love to hear uh, thoughts, opinions, uh, ways I can make it better, ways I can make it worse. Uh, you let me know. All right. Thank you very much, everybody. Uh, and again, I appreciate you. Cheers. We are recording. Paul, cheers, man. What up? Senor, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Everybody, welcome to the I Know Nothing About Beer podcast. I'm going to take a sip here of a, a little beatification. Beatification from... Russian River. 6518. Yeah. This is uh, about as fresh of a beer in a bottle that you want to get from uh, Russian River. I mean, you can open things a little fresher. But um, I think anything in especially from Russian River needs a, a couple of months in the bottle before you open it up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it says aged eight to twenty-four months, but even after bottling it, it still needs a little bit more time to yeah. kind of mature and do its thing. Yeah. No, absolutely. But we are here at Turning Point Brewery. Uh, is this? I can never remember if it's Hearst or U.S. Bedford. Bedford. One of the Bedford. three. Well, I mean, you know, it's they're, they're all tight. They're all here. right. Yeah. Um, but they've been uh, uh, gracious enough to let us uh, record here and uh, enjoy just a little day at the brewery. And it's nice. Like, this is a really nice day in Texas. I'm just glad to be in the air conditioning, though. Yeah. It is a little warm out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not as much as it's going to be during the summer, but... No, and I don't look forward to that, but we'll get there. Hmm. We'll get there. But, man, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yes, sir. Uh, pulling up my little notes here. You and I... Um, Got to know each other through uh, bottle shares. Yes. And then through the various Facebook groups as well. I, yep. I, I, we're, I don't think you're ever too far from a comment that has. I'm never too far from a comment, seeing a comment on, on one of the like, four pages that I see us both a part of. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty. Oh, I don't even know what the word is. Pretty. Uh, <sighs> Still early. Still early. Still early. <laughs> I'm pretty present. Yes. There it is. Present. Such, such an easy word. I couldn't even pull it out of my hat. So. The, the, the podcast doesn't really start till about five minutes in. Yeah, very, good. Good. very good. Very good. Very good. Mm. We've gotten to know each other through those, and you are, um, you are a home brewer. But I, I, I put it this way: there are people that are like myself that ha- that homebrew and I have my own little I have my system and I have my kettles and all that but you have like a home brewery yeah I've got I mean it's it's taken some years to kind of piece it together mm-hmm. um, here and there and it really just came to be out of necessity like what's going to make my day easier what's mm-hmm. going to make my life easier and <clears throat> initially I was um, when I do 10 gallon batches I would mm-hmm. have to put my kettle on the ground, fill it up after the mash, and then lift it to the burner, which was about waist level. And that's very not great. No. So, you know, a little pump here and there, a little tubing here and there, and just seeing how other people do it and kind of adapting it to make it work for myself. And now I'm able to do, you know, 10, 15-gallon batches at a time, and which is great because 
five gallons at a time kind of sucks when you're trying to make enough to not necessarily distribute, but, you know, hand out to buddies and kind of get your name out there and yeah. help people understand who you are, what you're doing, and yeah. what you're about. Yeah. I, so, um, there's, there's something that's, if you, if you're, if you're new to homebrewing or don't know much about homebrewing, part of, there's something in between what you were just saying there in lifting up you know your kettles and things mm-hmm. like that is that normally the part where you're saying lifting up kettles means that there's you know 10 to 15 gallons of either hot wort that is at like 212 degrees or um, a hot mash tun that's at like 160 degrees yeah um, well and you know when it's <clears throat> when you're holding my boil volume for a 10, ba- 10 gallon batch is about 13 gallons yep so 13 gallons at about eight pounds a gallon. You can do the math. It's close to 100 pounds. That's not fun to pick up. Plus, well, I mean, it's not so bad, but I mean, a, it's liquid. B, it's hot, and you can't really hold it close to your body like you should when you're no. lifting something that heavy. No. So you're just asking for either a massive mess or some kind of injury. Yeah. And you know that's kind of what led me to getting a pump was I just mm-hmm. I just got tired of it. Yeah. You know? Not a young man anymore, so I'm trying to. Do whatever I can to make my day better, gotcha. or easier rather. Easier. There's, I would say there's a whole set of. Um, uh, you can almost make a, we- a whole website based on how to make your brew day easy, um, because that's so much of uh, the the tinkerers out there that love to find how do I cut this little corner, how do I make this a little little easier for me. Well, they say necessity is the mother of invention, yeah. and it's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. And home brewers, through their desire to be thrifty and innovative. I've seen some pretty solid redneck engineering on the various uh, Facebook pages about home brewing and whatnot. Yep. How people are managing to do X, Y, and Z and somebody else is achieving the same results with a different method. Yep. And you know, that's what I like because that's my level. I don't have you know $100,000 income every year. So if I could do something that's going to make my beer better but not cost an arm and a leg I'm, yeah. I'm gonna explore that route yeah versus some of these people that uh, have these really elaborate homebrew subs mm-hmm. I saw this guy last night he had a, a three-tier system in yep. probably a shed that he had built you know his brew house was gorgeous and everything but I think I was most jealous of his three compartment sink oh I need an outdoor scene. Jeez Louise, yeah. man. That, those are amazing. Just, you know, it, it, he had the three compartment sink, uh-huh. kind of like what they have here at Turning Point, yep. but it had probably a five foot uh, section of just stainless steel table built onto it too. So, so you know, it's like workspace and, and cleanup layer, and... Lay your kegs on there, oh. lay your carboys on there, had this big overhead hose or a spray nozzle. It's like, man, the brew house is great and everything, but I really want that sink. That sink, yeah. Because brewing's great, that, but cleaning up sucks, and that sink would be nice. I've I had I'm going to steal this from somebody I can't I don't remember who, so I'll, I'll, I'll credit where credit is due to whomever said this, but they I've I've been told this that uh, brewing is uh, 90% 90% janitor, 10% you know creative. Well, sure. I mean, because you have to keep everything so clean. There's sterile environment. There's a hot side, yeah. cold side, and anything that is dirty or left dirty, you will find that out the next time you brew. Yep. Um, either there will be this nice big culture that is formed, or um, yeah. rust or whatever else. I can, I can yeah, I had about. that happen. Oh, put a. I do brew in a bag. 
Yeah. And I put my bag away wet one time. Oh. Didn't really think about no. it. Got busy. Put my <laughs> put my bag in a cooler. Yeah. Well, the mash tun is the cooler. Yeah, yeah. So I know exactly what you're talking while about. While doing some other stuff, I got sidetracked. Put yep. the bag in the cooler. Finished cleaning up everything else. Put everything away. Forgot about it until the next brew day, two or three weeks later, and then oh. I found it, and I was like, oh, this sucks because I'm what, already. Was it just a, a, a big mold cake? Just about. Yeah. So not yeah. only is there mold on my bag, there's mold on my tun. So I just trashed the bag and you know scrubbed the mold off my mash tun and. Yep. Uh, hit it with some vinegar and it's been fine ever since. Oh, good, but, good, good, good. You know that was that was a fun little experiment. Gotcha. So not one I've made again. Gotcha. So part of why, not part of why, but I mean I wanted you to be on this podcast, but a part of why I wanted you on this podcast was your uh, you do what's uh, brand handle is Illicit Ale Works. Yes. And. Um, you are in the process of opening, wanting to open up your own brew pub. Correct. So the this will probably be. We're in May of 19 at the moment, so I'm probably yeah. looking at three to four years at this point, conservatively. Because mm-hmm. I want to go back and finish some school before I go down that road. Okay. Um, I mean, I've already got a pretty good career in medicine, so I've got a fallback. Yep. But I would like to make my fallback that much cushier i guess you know have more of a fallback yep so we'll go down that road i've already got some investors but they're not they're not in any hurry okay Um, that that is good to have a investor that's not in a hurry yeah i mean i they're not just in a hurry to throw money at me but and i don't (laughs) guess anybody would be but the business plan is done i've got an idea for what i want to do um location is kind of still up in the air i'm really flexible with where i want to go um I don't really care where where I go, but I really like the idea of downtown Carrollton. Okay. Um, Three Nations is in Farmers Branch, yep. like a mile from downtown Carrollton, but they're about to move to downtown Carrollton, so that'd be cool. Oh, I didn't to, know they were gonna be moving. Yeah, they they got helped out from the city, and they're gonna be moving into like this really old abandoned, rundown barn, basically. Oh. But they're gonna fix it up, and the mock-ups look amazing. Good. Well, the huge beer garden and everything. It looks awesome. Good, good, good. good. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm flexible. I found a spot in Richardson that's real nice. Okay. Um, at, like, Campbell and Coit. But, again, you know, all this is wishful thinking at this point you until know, I get ready to take that step. But if somebody wants to just throw a million dollars at me, I mean, I'll forego <laughs> school and I'll just get this thing rolling. So if you got a you know million dollars to spare, I mean, just and looking, looking for a, an yeah. opportunity. Yeah, you yeah. can you can find me on the internet. Yeah, I'm yeah. everywhere. <laughs> um, I I always tell people because I've talked to several people that are looking to open up breweries, and I always say very selfishly, there is an open lot, literally in the next to the Mexican market, uh, across the street from where I live, and so it it is very selfish, but I don't care if their brewery decided to open up next to me, wow. I would be a very reliable source of income. Well, and that's funny you say that because. Uh, a while back, I posted something on my uh, Facebook page mm-hmm. and asked people, hey, where do you think there's a gap? Where would be a good place for a new brewery? Mm-hmm. And I think I got out of like 30 or 40 comments, one or two mm-hmm. were actual comments about, I think you could go here and do really well. Yep. Everything else was, well, next I, door to me. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, I live, I live here and I think you could do good in this area. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. I mean, you're probably, you might not be wrong. But I know you're angling for a brewery close to home. Mm-hmm. 
That's why I, I preface with the selfishly. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's what brought that or that's what brought that back to mind. And now, granted, I do live in Halton City, and there is nothing. I should say nothing, but there is um, it it is a nice little middle spec. Yeah, and because you're right between, I guess there's nothing in Halton. Nope. Uh, Turning Point's not far away, and Bedford and North Richland Hills is about to have two. Yep. And then other than that, you're just looking at Fort Worth. Well, Fort Worth and then Keller. Oh, Shannon, yeah. Yep. Anybody else out there? Just um, you got uh, someone opened up in Roanoke. Um, something, but I can't remember what it is. I haven't. I just haven't been out that way in a long time. I saw that they had a uh, brewery approval. But I yeah. can't can't remember their name. I think it was gonna be a, like a church brewery. Like in an old church? No, like it's gonna be tied to a church. Oh, well, all right. I mean, uh, I don't. Trappist monks do it. Uh, yes, um, I, I I love Trappist monks, um, and I, I I like the way that they do it. So I'm interested to see how this church will do it because yeah. Trappist monks keep no profits um, other than to keep the brewery and the abbey going. Everything else gets donated to the poor. Um, that is a part of their marking to be able to get that. Well, that'd be cool. You come up, get your communion wafer and a little taster of, little a, taster. of a New England IPA or something. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be a Trappist brewery. So um, I'm, I'm interested, again, interested to see what they, what they do. That'd be cool. It'd be cool to see. So what made you want to go? I love my homebrew. Uh, want to take it to professional level. I think that a lot of, um, I think anybody that once you get into homebrew, you get the first couple people to try, go, oh, dude, you should open up your own brewery. Yeah. And that's really fun to hear. Um, at the same time, there's the, yeah, I want to look, uh, that'd be fun to do. And then there's the, huh, I wonder if, and then the, the, there's a road down that way. So what made you think, let's start taking down that road? Well, you're not wrong in that, you know, when you start passing your stuff out, Yep. You know, my stuff kind of kind of started out okay. Yeah, it's all right. You know, it's okay. It could be better, but it's not bad. And I started working on it and getting it better. And, you know, the word started getting around that, oh, well, I'd buy this. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, you'd buy this in a four-pack or six-pack at the store or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I would concur. I've had your beer. But. I would buy it. <laughs> the caveat to that is most of those people are friends. Mm-hmm. So how honest are they and how truthful are they being with you? And are they just trying to coddle your feelings or these you know honest uh, mm-hmm. accolades so then I decided I was going to start giving my beer to strangers and mm-hmm. all my beers are on untapped and um, I get some honest feedback gotcha. and you're never going to satisfy everyone 100% of the time no way but I will say that you know most of my beers get favorable reviews and mm-hmm. I've got some interesting things I've got some, you know, norm, quote, normal, quote, boring things. Yep. Like, you know, I've got a cream ale that I really love, but mm-hmm. it's cream ale. It's not one that's going to, it's not one people are going to be knocking down your door no, for. No one's standing in line for the next cream ale. No, but <laughs> I like it, and yeah. it's, God, it's just a good beer. Um, mm-hmm. But aside from that, you know, I had a guy come over one night, and he he's really kind of a beer snob. Mm-hmm. Like he's very hard on on beers and how he yep. perceives them and everything. And he's like, "Damn, dude, I'd I'd pay twenty dollars four pack for this." I was like, "Really? Well, I can make it for a lot less than that." No, yeah. So let me start thinking about that, and then mm-hmm. yeah, I start talking to people that I know and drink with, and people that have had my beer and getting their opinion. Do you think this is something that 
I could do and that I could sustain and mm-hmm. I could be successful with. And, you know, everybody was like, yeah, man. So nice. I kind of entertained the idea and then, you know, I started doing more things to kind of fake the funk, so to speak. You know, I got some glassware, got some stickers, got a, got a website. Um, and the interest hasn't died. So the, the interest hasn't died from other people. And that only has made my my desire to actually move on and do something legitimate okay. a little stronger. And you know, I don't want a big system. I don't want to be you know the next community or RAR with like you know a million square foot facility. Th- those are very fun, but that is a that is a very different um, goal than a brew pub. Right. Yeah, yeah. Those guys, man. That's not. I don't, I don't see how they have fun. I mean, they're working. There. That is. That. When you've moved to that part, then you are a company that brews beer. Right. Not just a brewery, but you have HR staff, you have yep. contracts to sign, you have all these other fun yep. things that come with a business. Yeah, and I don't want that. Because, I mean, they probably have guys, um, as far as community goes, with their mosaic. Yeah, I they mean, just brew mosaic all day long. Golly, man. I don't yeah. know how big their system is, but last time I was in there, probably six months ago, was they had mosaic cans stacked to the ceiling. Yeah. And they had probably an 80-foot ceiling in there. Yeah. Um, so they probably have guys brewing in shifts 24 hours a day. Uh, I I think he still works there, a buddy of mine. Um, and here's one cool thing about community is that, um, at least for him, from him, uh, is that he's like, yeah, I only work eight hours a day. And I was like, wait, you're a brewer that only works eight hours a day. And people will listen to this and go like, what do you mean only works uh-huh. eight hours a day? When you the type of brew pub you're thinking about opening, it's a it is much more heart and work than eight hours a day and personal interaction yeah. and that's what I want. I want people to come in and like like when I walked in. I mean, I know these people personally, but it's yeah. still nice to walk into a brewery mm-hmm. and have them greet you by name. You know, the old cheers. Who doesn't? Yeah, I was about to say, who doesn't love cheers? The old cheers yeah. moniker. Yeah. You know. Um, so. I want, I'd like to have a 10 barrel system, which I think is kind of middle ground. Yeah. It's not small. No. Um, it's not huge. Cause somebody told me one time, if you go, cause I was like, you know, five barrel system, that's a lot of beer. Mm-hmm. That's uh, 150 gallons. So uh, but they were like, well, if you go five barrel, you're going to be brewing every day to, yeah. to fill the tanks. So go at least 10 barrel. That way maybe you'll have to brew, you know, once or twice a week. Um, yeah. Maybe three times a week, depending on how many tanks you got to fill. And I don't know. That seemed like a better option. Um, yeah. I get got, that. Kind of got sidetracked. Okay. Gotcha. And then something I've never asked you before. I mean, we've talked a little bit, but where did illicit ales come from? So I'm in the medical field. Okay. And I was struggling to come up with a name. Um there's a lot of breweries out there. There are. There's a lot of ideas that have been taken. There have. And I was writing a chart one day for a, uh, a habitual drug addict. And I was documenting blah, 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 blah. You know, um, mm-hmm. patient has illicit drug use, has a history of illicit drug use. I was like, oh, illicit. That's a fun word. Well, that doesn't sound bad. <laughs> and it doesn't, it doesn't stray too far from my idea of naming beers. Okay. You know. As some of your beers, you know, this, I feel free to name any of the beers that you have that you want to. I'm, I'm not worried about the kiddies listening to this. Right, right, so. right. 
Well, I mean, I, I like to have fun, and be, having been in the military and having been in the medical field for as long as I have, mm -hmm. uh, my sense of humor is not on the same level as a lot of people who haven't experienced that in life, so uh -huh. a little twisted from time to time on my sense of humor, but I like to name my beers either kind of perverted things or, um, you know, just slaying things that I think are funny. Like, I've got the, the cream ale I was talking about, it's called Cream Pie. Mm -hmm. Um, I've got another beer called Nocturnal Emission, which, if nobody knows, is, is the medical term for a wet dream. Yes. No, I, so, I, that still makes a 12-year-old in me laugh. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, the beer, that beer is so good, it'll make you bust one in your sleep. <laughs> um, of course, the, the real easy, just, you know, uh, T-ball name for my French Saison is French Tickler. You mm -hmm. know, just... There's nothing crazy about that one. Just put that T-ball up and let it rip. But, um, yeah, I don't know, man. I like to have fun with it. Yeah, gotcha. And that's kind of how I come up with my beers. I come up with a name I like, and then I design a beer around it. Gotcha. Like, what, is this, what does this name sound like it should be? Yeah. So. Gotcha. I know a lot of people come up with a beer and then name it, but that ain't me. Well, and it's... It's also the, the pun game when it comes to beers. How many puns can you have with hop um, yeah. or triple or double, um, you know, yeah, yeah, gotcha. So this has been, about how long have you say, would you say you've been thinking about Illicit Ale Works as a professional goal? Not entirely too long, maybe about a year. Okay. Um, I've had the name for a while simply because, you know, I put my stuff on untapped as soon yeah. as I found out about it, and that gives my friends and other people who they share it with an opportunity uh -huh. to provide feedback. So I had to, and that was one big reason I was trying to just come up with a name in the beginning, yeah. was I just need to, I want I have to, something to have I want to know to what found. people are thinking about mm -hmm. when they drink my beer. So, you know, sometimes it makes it to Houston, sometimes it makes it to Austin, and people share it with mm. their friends. So... People who owe me nothing, people who have no interest in protecting my feelings, they are able to provide honest feedback, and yeah, you know that's that's really it. I just needed a name to throw on Untapped, and initially it was going to be Slingshot or Whole Shot, um, and then just toyed with a couple other names. Big hockey fan, so I tried to come up with something hockey related, hockey -related. but um, then I just settled on Illicit and had a logo made and. That was kind of it for the time for the longest time. Illicit does cut through the pack. It definitely yeah. does. There's not there's something about it that that makes you stop and go, huh? I want to just if nothing else, check out what it is. Well, that's cool. Yeah. I wouldn't. I mean, I'm I'm inside the, the inner working, so I don't get to see a lot of that. I mean, yeah. I think everything should make everybody want to stop and look at it, but that's yeah. just me. I mean, it's my baby. If seeing even me coming to Texas there was a so when I left California with my wife um, I left two jobs one pouring beer one working at a university and I literally thought that I was we, we, my wife and I thought about me opening up a brew pub not a um, one year thing about like a 10 barrel system something like that but I was thinking about opening up a small craft beer bar with maybe a one barrel system um, and just hire somebody to just play around with that and I give them my Saison recipe to make every once in a while and then go from there um, and as the more we looked into it and the more 
that we looked into man the time commitment of that like it is it's a bit and then um in me looking for a job uh got a couple and it was it was it was one of those moments of if i decide to do this then we're going down a whole different path and we don't know if we're prepared to do that yet so any i mean any small business but i also think like with beer there's and brewing there's a special added pressure because it's something you're making literally weekly if not daily and going hey if i make a bad beer that's not just a i made a bad mistake that could be a these people don't like my beer reviews could come in it's there there's a lot riding on every single batch well and it's it's a huge financial commitment too just mm-hmm. on the just on the the daily operations yeah. side of it cuz you figure you make your you make your beer and you know you let it ride for two or three weeks to ferment and condition and mm-hmm. you decide to take a sample before you package it and it's yep. crap or it took on a wild bacteria or something and now you've got an unintentionally sour beer that yep. doesn't taste anything like what you want to put out yep. well I've known of breweries who are like screw it man that's that's money we got to sell it regardless and then that beer just is met by the masses with uh, pitchforks and torches yeah and the right thing to do in that opinion is to just dump to, it to dump just run that, it down the drain man sucks. it does but I, I would rather lose you know $1,500 on a batch of beer than put something out that sucks and people are going to yeah. tear my head off over there was a I'll say there's a, there's a very popular brewery um, that I know of that came out with a beer that everybody was kind of going that's interesting it was a uh, it was a it was a style that normally doesn't get sour uh, but then it was soured and everybody was like that's interesting why would you ever sour this it doesn't taste horrible but I don't think anybody's rushing to grab this bottle right and then it was a then um, through the the I mean it, I, I know that every subculture has their own little rumor mill but I think beer has a very fun rumor mill and uh, all I heard, I heard from somebody that knows someone that knows someone that the beer had soured, and instead of dumping it, they decided to change the label and say it was a sour this. And I mean, it wasn't a horrible. I mean, beer, that, that's, but a, that's an angle you can go, I guess. That is an angle you can go. I mean, if the beer isn't terrible, I mean, because sometimes, sometimes beers are unintentionally sour, mm-hmm. but they turn out great. Uh, I won't say great for this one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but it did. It it was not uh, not horrible. It was like, oh, I can drink this, but it's not something I'm ever going to order again. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. Not something you want a lot of. No. Uh, by the way, right now we've moved on to the gem, uh, the collaboration between Casa Gria and Turning Point, and I've got to say this is amazing. That's ridiculous. I think this is the thickest stout they've ever made. Oh. And it's gosh. A, it's a cookies and cream beer, right? I, I don't know. I'm getting more coffee. That like uh, that that like um, that cutting coffee and oh man, I'm just digging this. Yeah, all the way it's around. Uh, cookies and cream flavored coffee from Bones Coffee Company. Okay, well, I might be ordering a pound of Rambones coffee. Cause man, and I almost feel like there's some syrup quality to it. And I don't know, no. like not necessarily just from the thickness, but almost like they put some kind of syrup in there. We were talking about this a little earlier. Um, That's fantastic. It is. Um, not just about the gem, the beer here, but something that home brewing helped me do was appreciate 
not only how beer is made, but what I'm tasting in my glass. Because yeah. when you start to homebrew, and you know everything from, and you get to know everything from, you know, uh, mash to boil to whirlpool and all these other fun little terms, you start to taste taste a glass and go like, oh. I'm tasting this, and that was probably from where they did this in the beer, and when they did this in the process. How has homebrewing helped you appreciate uh, the beers in your glass? Mostly just from the the aspect of the time it takes to make a batch. Hmm. <clears throat> for for the, for the actual brewing process, I mean, you're looking at four or five hours just for one batch of beer. Yeah. And then you have to be patient and wait, depending on the style of beer. I mean, mm-hmm. I can turn in New England in about two weeks, but uh, <clears throat> I'm letting my stouts ride for about a month. Yeah. So in that really sucks because you don't know whether you made a good beer, an okay beer, or a great beer, or a bad beer and, until and, several weeks later. And let me pause you there. So if you don't know what... Um Again, I'm trying to explain things out because I know that we use a lot of terminology that if you're new to beer, you may not know. So when you said write it out, you're talking about the fermentation process. Yeah. Just so you've made the beer, you put it in the fermentation tank, you've added the yeast, and a New England IPA, about two weeks, it should be fermented, should be just about done. Yep. If there's something, if the sugars are still a little high, you might let it another day or two just to see what yeah. happens. But uh, a stout um, that's in the 10 plus range, um, you got to let that yeast take its time with all that sugar. Yeah, so that it can kind of condition out and clean up any off flavors that might be there. Yeah, uh, I could probably turn it a little sooner on some uh-huh. of my stouts, but I just choose not to. I like I like the product I get at the four week mark, mm-hmm. and then you know another week in the keg, and it's great. Yeah, um, it's ready to drink, ready to can, ready to throw out to the public. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and the, the New Englands, I ferment, um, I ferment them in the 64 to 65 degree range okay. for about three or four days, and then I'll ramp it up to 70. Wow. Okay. Just to uh, just to clean it up and get those yeast really active, because huh. as with any, that's why you go into uh, hospitals and they're always cold, huh. because bacteria and microorganisms always function and li- they, they're slower moving. The cold, yeah. the colder it is. Yeah. So same thing with yeast. Yeast is a living bacteria, or not a bacteria, but yeast is a living thing. Yeah. So it moves a little slower. It works a little slower at cooler temperatures. Mm-hmm. But just that five degree swing from 65 to 70. It's a big difference. It really is. Yeah. And it really wakes up the yeast, and they're like, "Hey guys, you know, we can we can go in here, and we can really it, chew it, it, chew through this sugar." It, it's literally like going to Mexico for them. They're like, "It's party time. Yeah. The the, the things are ready. It. Let's go." An old TJ in a bottle, man. That's right. <laughs> or a carboy, I guess. See, and I normally, so I make a, around Christmas time, or around um, Halloween, I start making my chocolate oatmeal espresso stout. I don't know if you've had that one before. I brought it to a couple of shares. Maybe. Over at Chris's. Um, yeah. But um, that one, I ferment out at about 62, and I just let it sit for about a month and just let it be there. Yeah, that's... Um, that's, and that's that's, that's kind of on the cool. low end. Yeah. Kind of on the low end for most yeast, most ale yeast anyway. Yeah, and I'll use a, an English ale yeast for that one. And I've I've really loved the results, but now I'm like, okay, eh, maybe I will ramp it up a little bit. See how that goes next time around. Maybe, yeah, because you don't want to ferment too warm initially, because that's where you're going to get all your extra esters and stuff. Yeah. Um, but you know that's why I ferment a little lower, 
mm -hmm. ramp it up after a few days because most of those esters are already formed and most of the fermentation is done. So real quick, explain what an ester is. If someone doesn't know what an ester is. Uh, esters are just extra flavor profiles you get off of mm -hmm. uh, the yeast. Depending on the yeast you have, like um, like a Hefeweizen yeast, mm -hmm. you ferment a little warmer, you might get a little more of a banana. Um, sometimes you can control the flavors you get out of the yeast by the temperature that you ferment at. Yeah. So if you want a real clean, kind of neutral ferment, you can ferment a little lower. So let's just say mm -hmm. the temperature range on the yeast is 64 to 67. Yeah. So if you want to ferment that Hefeweizen at like 60, it's going to take a little longer. It mm -hmm. will ferment, yep. but you're not going to get a lot of those traditional Hefeweizen flavors that you're going to expect, like the banana and the clove. Yep. Uh, if you ferment a little warmer on or towards the high end, say 67, 68, you're going to get a lot more ester production and you'll get, hopefully, you'll get what you're looking for if you're after the banana and clove characteristics in that beer. Have you had the Trader Joe's Hefeweizen? No. Um, so... I'm glad you brought up Hefeweizen because it, it's a great example of what temperature can do to flavor. Because I really like um, the type of Hefeweizen where it's more clove and grain and not so much banana. I don't know what Trader Joe's decided to do. They decided to ramp up. How, I don't know how. They have a bubble gum. That's the other side of Hefeweizen is that if you go too warm, you get a bubble gum flavor. And I, 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 it was a, one of the first times where I realized like, oh blind tasting is a thing yeah. because I tasted it and I know I, I was really early on in my, my time of really wanting to learn about beer and I was like and I, I remember tasting and going like that tastes like a stick of bubble gum from an old card pack. Yeah and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It, um, it, it was not what I was expecting. Right because a lot of Belgian beers have that character. And those aren't normally the that's not normally a flavor profile I seek out but I understand no how it can be there. Well, I mean, bubble, I mean, you think about bubble gum and you think about beer and they don't typically go together. No, not, not, not generally. No. no. So when somebody brings that up, it's, it can be a little confusing or maybe make somebody yeah. raise, raise a brow. <clears throat> but I think maybe that's why some of the Belgian beers have that character too, because it seems like a lot of Belgian beers are fermented a little on the warm end. Yeah. And, and Belgian, I mean, I love how they throw out the rules. Um, like Ryan Heights could be damned. The Ryan Heights could, yeah, that's right. But I also think that there's a part of why I've, I've struggled really hard making good Belgian beers. I've made a couple, and they've always been just like that. Like they've been like, ah, you try. And just right there on the edge. It's just, right there on the edge. Just not like, where you no, want it. Yeah. No. Um, the, the grains, the the. Um, the grain bill, uh, the temperatures, and then the adjuncts that they add, either the molasses or the beet sugar, um, oh, man. can can really, it just really adds more to think about when you're brewing, making, yeah. and fermenting. Yeah, I've not messed around with a whole lot of Belgian stuff, but I want to. I've got, got a few ideas and a few recipes, you know, in the on-deck circle, but I just haven't thrown down on them yet. See, and I've been wanting to make a Belgian a Belgian double for Thanksgiving, which means you'd have to start it like in September. Yeah. Or so I've read. Well, I mean, maybe. I mean, you can go traditional if you want to. Like, mm -hmm. I made a, an Oktoberfest in March, mm -hmm. and I'll let it go until September, and 
Uh, I didn't do it this year. I did it last year. Thank um, you, sir. And it was a great beer. It was mm. cr- it was crystal clear. It was bright. It was beautiful. It was awesome. I put a little uh, put some uh, Hungarian oak in there with it. Oh yeah. So yeah. a little bit of a of an extra woody character yep. in this, which you know it's not normally something you get out of an Oktoberfest. But that being said, I've also made an Oktoberfest within six weeks, mm-hmm. and it's been just as good. Gotcha. So six months of lagering, or you know. A week and a half of fermentation and five weeks of, of lager. I kind of got the same product. Gotcha. And a lot of people will do that because I've, I've read articles where commercial breweries will make their Oktoberfest in August. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah, August. August, yeah. And then it's ready to go by the end of September, start of October. So, and let me just take a moment here. Lagering, lagering to store to weight, that's a, it's a German term. But that literally means you ferment the beer and then you let it sit where it's at, either in the original vessel that it fermented in or you transfer it to another vessel and then let it sit. And that's to let the yeast literally either settle out or to finish out all the little things that those, all other little sugars that those yeast need to eat. Yeah, to really get to the basics, there's really only two styles of beer. You have lagers and you have ales. Yep. 90% of what's on the market is probably... Well, I don't know. I mean, if you consider Budweiser and Coors and all that, those guys put a lot of product on shelves, yep. and those are all lagers. No, all of them lagers. Um, so Do you know the, the turnaround time for a Bud? Grain to glass? No. Two weeks. Really? Yeah. I believe it. So Something about that beechwood aging, like, spreads out the... <laughs> well, no, like, seriously, this is what I've heard. Something about the beechwood aging, they put, like, you don't get any wood characters out of it. Can, very, can you say what, what, what you mean by beechwood aging? Huh? What, explain what beechwood right, aging right. means. So, and I could be completely wrong on this, but what I've read is that in, the beechwood is very neutral. You don't get a lot of flavors no. off of it. It 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 serves no purpose for flavor. Its sole purpose is to kind of spread the yeast out, I guess. It's it's supposed to, <clears throat> and then get like more surface area with the beer or something. Yeah. So instead of there being, so you you ferment in a big vessel, okay. And that vessel only has so much room for yeast to be. So if you add in the beechwood, you're adding more little spots for those yeast to propagate off of. Right. So it's adding a... And first off, so as much as I don't care for the big three, I have a respect for how they do things. Because you were just talking about lagers that take six weeks to a couple months to ferment out. Sure. And they're making a lager that that um, comes out in two weeks. I mean, they have scientists, PhDs, people with PhDs in yeast reproduction. Oh, no. That are working on their, their things. It's not uncommon for someone with a biology degree mm-hmm. to, you know, you, you figure, well, this person's really smart. They have a biology degree. They're probably going to do something in medicine or research they're going to change the world yep nah bro they're going to go they're going to go work for a brewery and they're going to help propagate yeast and uh bacteria and all this other stuff find a way to shave like an hour off of the fermentation process so that they can bottle beer quicker yeah and that's something a lot of people probably don't realize about breweries is a lot of breweries have legitimate laboratories yeah i mean they have labs that will measure the alcohol content they'll measure the ibu like mm-hmm. actual ibu is not just what whatever app on your phone says that it's going to be 
because yeah. I mean I make a, an IPA that's calculated on my app to be 110 IBUs but it's nowhere near that bitter yeah. it's just because of the high alpha hops and where and where I add them I mean the app will only calculate so much <clears throat> but I mean they're measuring IBUs alcohol um, they're measuring DMS you know they're measuring all these off flavors that exist in every beer it's just how many parts per million are these uh, off yeah. flavors present and it takes a certain number and I don't know what they are for them to actually be detectable uh, I worked at a brewery for a, for a very short time and they had a food scientist on staff that's awesome and they um, she the person that worked there she was awesome I loved her to death and they would test uh, carbon dioxide levels, uh, yeast cell uh, reproduction rates. Um, I mean, they reproduce asexually, but how quickly they're reproducing. Um, and just all the other little things that when you're a home brewer, you just kind of take for granted. Right. But when you're making beer on a hundred gallons, hundreds of gallons scale, um, little things matter. Yeah. Yeah. Because, and I, I don't know how big buds tanks are in St. Louis, but a buddy of mine was just up there and took some pictures next to one of them, yeah. and he looks like an ant. Yeah. Oh, they're I mean, huge. These these fermenting vessels, and they're they're uh, horizontal. They're not vertical tanks like what you're used to seeing. Wow. They looked like like a like a dairy tank. Gotcha. Um, some of their smaller facilities probably have traditional fermenters, but these things were massive. I mean, I can't imagine. They had to have been. They had to have been thousand barrel tanks, or you know. Yeah. Just Who knows? Maybe bigger. Insane. But it was ridiculous. Well, I mean, I mean, here in Fort Worth, we've got a, I believe, a Coors facility. Yeah. And those tanks that you see from the outside, I believe those are fermentation vessels. Outside. Outside. That's ridiculous. Which, okay, and part of why it's, that why you're saying that's ridiculous is because Texas gets to 115 degrees, and you need to keep beer, especially lagers, at a very cool yeah. temperature, 50-something-ish, depending on how you decide to do it. Yeah, depending on the yeast. I mean, most lagers are in the the 48 to, like, 54-degree range for yeah. fermentation, whereas your ales are in the 60 to 70-degree range. So to keep a vessel that you can see from the freeway at, we'll say, conservatively, 52 degrees, I mean, that's a in, yeah. You know, 105 degree heat in the dead of summer with, you know, 90% humidity. Yeah. Because that's what we have to deal with here. Oh, yeah. Um, especially if it's not covered with any shade or anything. It's just no, it's, direct it's, sunlight. You just see it in the sunlight and see it from the freeway. I wouldn't do that to my worst enemy, let alone a big tank of, <laughs> big tank of beer. Ginormous tank of God. beer. Yeah. I, I just, I look at those and go, the engineering that's involved in those, again, I'm not a huge fan of them, but I can respect how they do everything, how they take a beer from grain to glass in two yeah. weeks. I mean, I'm sure they're I'm sure they're all jacketed. I'm sure it's like a like a Yeti cup or something that's insulated. Oh, it's a I mean, giant Yeti. Yeah. That's all it is. So that's got to be the only way they're able to keep it cool. And their glycol system must be massive. Oh. I'm sure they've got more than one, but I mean. Yeah. I'm sure they have to, a backup for the backup. They have to. Yeah. And. Just a segue, talking about cores being locally, I will murder some cores banquet. <laughs> um, I don't, you know, and I was kind of that guy for a while where, oh, I'm not drinking this, I'm not drinking that, but man, I will murder some cores banquet, some Dos Equis, some Corona. Have I ever told you my, my 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 favorite beer of all time? Um, I believe I might have heard this in one of your other episodes, but 
I I don't recall at the moment. It's a free one. It's a free. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fair. That's my favorite beer. Yeah. Hey, if I'm at your house, you give me a beer. I'm gonna be appreciative yeah, about that. Yeah. That's. That, yeah. That's like my dad. His favorite ice cream. Ice cream. Ice cream. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Man, this gym is awesome. I just finished mine. I feel really bad because I'm like, I might have to take a couple of these. Well, home. they make more. They do. And I'm oh gosh. Yeah. But that's cool that they're turning their their loggers that quick. Um, kind of makes me wonder because I do a fast logger method where I will, and it's from I believe Jamil. Zainashev. Thank you. Yes. I was gonna butcher his last no, name. No, it's all good. So this guy, mm-hmm. he's got his own place now, right? Like he actually went pro. Heretic Brewing. Yeah, he went. But, he went pro about six years ago. But for the longest time, he was just like a really awesome home brewer. He is. He is one of the most awarded home brewers in the country. Yeah. He's like. And he had his. He's part of the Brewing Network. So if you don't know the Brewing Network, it's a full podcast uh, hub of just podcasts about beer. So if you're ever looking to like learn about beer, uh, his brewing with styles, I think it's ended now. But you, if you want to learn how to brew a oatmeal stout, he has a two-hour episode on brewing just oatmeal stouts. And it's not one of these where they take 30 minutes to talk about beer and then start brewing. But they talk about, you know, talk about beer for maybe five minutes, and then Zamil's like, all right, oatmeal stouts. Here's a style. Here's how we do it. Yeah. And that's that's where I got my idea for lagering. Gotcha. I mean, I, my fermenting vessel or uh, chamber, rather, is just a, a deep freezer. Yeah. So I can't really tie up my deep freeze for three months to do a proper lager. Yeah. So his quick lager method, and for anybody interested, just look up Jamil Zanishev quick lager and you can yep. find it. But basically, you lager at your, uh, almost call it that gnat between my fingers, very... <laughs> Very, the uh, brewery, the brewery, the little bar flies. Very, very, yeah. very Danielson. You had a Danielson moment. Man. Yeah. Um, so, let's say my my pilsner that yeah. I make, it ferments at I want to say 52. Okay. And I will let it ride, or I'll let it go for however long it takes to reach 80% attenuation, okay. or 75% rather. What and is attenuation? Attenuation. I, I was going to get on that because yeah. I'm starting to pick up the trend. There we go. Yeah. So attenuation is the ability of your yeast to consume sugar in your beer. Gotcha. So um, 100% attenuation would mean that the yeast eat all your sugar. There's yep. nothing left. And there are a couple of yeast out there that will do that. Um, mostly the Y yeast 3711, the French saison. That will dry out things. Oh my God! Yes. That thing will eat everything. I love that. I love that yeast. I've used it before. It's even, great. Even if you're not making a saison, you just have a beer that stalls. You just need a couple, a couple of, yep. uh, just to take off a little bit of sugar at the end. Yeah. Drop. Well, because I had drop a, the gravity like four points. Well, I had a stout stall one time. A big stout stall at like 10:40. Oh. One time. I was like, well, that's not what I want. No. So, so I pitched some 37.11, and it finished right where I wanted it in like the 10:20 range. Yep. So I was like, perfect. Yeah. But um, I will. So let's say I make a, a beer where my gravity is uh, 10.50. Yeah. And gravity, in regards to beer, is just the measure. Uh, it's called. You start with specific gravity, or it's specific gravity. Specific yeah. gravity, and then you end with final gravity, and it's measured on a four-point scale of uh, one point whatever. Yeah. 
1.000 is water. Is water. So anytime you add stuff to that, it goes. So if you add like a cup of sugar, it's measuring the density of the liquid. Yeah. So prior to pitching yeast, your liquid is obviously super super dense. Mm -hmm. Lots of sugars, lots of other compounds present, and um, after you add the yeast, and the yeast um, has a chance to chew through the sugar and everything, the density goes down. So your gravity goes down as well, and then. You do a little math equation there between the two, and that's how you get your alcohol by volume. Yeah. Anyway, so let's say I have a beer that is 1050, and I know or I expect it to finish at 1010. Meaning 1.050. Correct. And after the yeast, I'll eat all the sugar. It should get through to 1.010. My my terminal gravity, my the final, final gravity, gravity, the lowest it's going to get, the driest it's going to get, is going to be 1.010. Yep. Or how most brewers refer to it, 1010. 1010. Yep. Uh, there's another measurement out there that a lot of professionals use called Play-Doh. Oh, oh, Play-Doh, yeah. Yeah, but I don't I don't mess with that. All right, nope. Um, gravity's easy enough for me. I could do Play-Doh, and I think like if I'm I'm not even going to speak on it because I don't really know how don't the conversion is. Don't worry about it. Just stick with the gravity. Yeah, but 75% of my attenuation is about 10 at 1020. Yep. So once I hit 1020, I will start ramping up the temperature. Yep. So I'll ferment at 52 until it hits 1020, uh, ramp it up to about 68 or 70. Okay. Let it sit there for five days to finish cleaning up because all my lager characteristics are already where right I want there. them to be. All because, those esters that you wanted to right. be so are the, there. The beer is three quarters done. Now I just need to ferment a little warmer, like we were talking about earlier, to wake the yeast up yep. and have them chew through whatever's left. Gotcha. So I do a uh, four, three or four day ferment at the proper temperature. Mm -hmm. I ramp up to 70 degrees over two days, let it sit there for five days, and then I ramp down to lagering temperatures over two days, which are about 34 degrees for me. Gotcha. And then I'll let it sit there for a day or two, and then I'll transfer it to a secondary vessel, typically glass, a glass okay. carboy. Gotcha. And then the good thing about lagers is you can just let it sit there until you're ready to drink it. Literally, yeah. So um, I've got 10 gallons of Our Lady Pills uh, lagering right now. Oh, nice. Um, I can keg it anytime I want. I need to go home, and I need to uh, empty some kegs and mm -hmm. clean them, and then I'll probably throw some of that in there. I've got some blonde also fermenting that needs to go into a keg soon. Gotcha. So I'll have some uh, have some goodies to share soon. I'm excited for those goodies to share. I thought about I thought about kegging those earlier this week, but I was like, no, nah, I'm not gonna rush it. It's like I'm not gonna rush it. Um, I've done that, and you don't always get the product you want. It's it's the the times where I've had beers go wrong has been when I've been trying to rush a brew day or rush the fermentation. Yeah, and along those lines, I love having people come over and hang out when I brew, mm -hmm. but I'm easily distracted when my friends come over. And so I, I actually wanted to ask you about that because you've hosted a lot of brew days. I've hosted a lot of brew days as well. Um, if someone invites you to a brew day, like, hey, I'm brewing, come on over, what are some of the things that you should do as a guest of someone brewing? Um, offer to help, but stay out of the way at the same time. That's a, that is such a good way to put that. Um, I love, like I said, I love having people over. I'm not going to invite you over if I don't like you and like spend, yeah. spending time with you. But at the same time, I know it needs to be done. Um, mm -hmm. 
the friends that come over don't always know what needs to be done, but they're they're willing to learn. They're happy to learn. Yeah. And sometimes I think the first go round is kind of like just watch, just see what's being done, and then the next time you have a better idea. I, I would say one of the best things to do is be willing to do whatever is kind of needed in the moment. Yeah. Um, and that's anywhere from hey, could you just take the water hose and rinse this thing out? Uh, I know that sounds stupid, but as we were talking about needed. earlier, like I can't let a grain of like a little bit of this grain sit on this kettle yep. for the next two, three, four month plus well, until the and, next time I brew. Yeah, and I like I like to clean as I go to yep. simply because a lot of that sweet wort that's yep. produced, uh, if it just sits in the cooler, man, I I never have flies in my house until Whoa. I'm e- until I'm either brewing yep. or I'm outside working on the smoker. So if I've got brisket going or if I'm brewing, flies come out of nowhere. So the sooner I get that stuff rinsed off and washed down the driveway, the better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Keeps the flies at bay a little bit. But if if you want to have your friends come over and um, help you with brew day. Or if your friend has been invited over. Yeah. Yeah. Don't drink. Don't drink. Or don't drink a lot. I, w- I would say, because I, I stick to the rule of, if you're going to make good beer, you need to be drinking good beer. And I can't, my, my brew days kind of turn to a very small share. There's yeah. like big bottle shares. Well, mine's turned into a, I'm drinking, but I am making sure all my wits are about me plus some. Yeah. Because you don't want to be, you don't want to forget That's, about like, oh, my temperature's at there now. Man, I have, I have forgotten hop additions. I have forgotten <laughs> mineral additions. <laughs> I have forgotten to put the clarifying agent in the beer, you know, whatever. Yeah. Oh, hey, we just boiled off an extra 30 minutes. So we're going to have a stronger beer than, than we intended. Yeah. That's cool, though. We're having a good time, we're, whatever. We're just, yeah, just so, add more dry hops. It's all good. Yeah. yeah. You know, you could thin it out with some more tap water if you want to, but mm-hmm. that might... Not it. Not, yeah, that was a, a general announcement from Turning Point Beer. Somebody's got their p- car parked in front of the kitty gym next door. Oh, the kitty gym. That is one thing that I think is hilarious about Turning Point is that I've seen so many dads and moms stand outside of the, of the brewery and look inside going, what's going on in there? Well, they, they, were, they were butting heads severely when Turning Point tried to open. I mean, there were... Really? There were city... Yeah. If you're not aware, there were hearings at City Hall, like when they were trying to file their permits and everything for this location. Because we were next to a place with kids. Because they're next door to a uh, gymnastics place, uh. and the parents didn't want people drinking and driving and all this stuff around their kids, which I get, it's a legitimate concern. But at the same time, this isn't that type of place. Sure, people probably have a little bit too much here from time to time, <laughs> but this is a brewery where uh. people go to taste beer. They're not coming to a bar to just get absolutely. You know, I, I have a full I, I'm I have a full podcast about in my head about how the bar has hurt uh, drinking culture. Has yeah. hurt and helped drinking culture. Yeah. Well and what's funny though is after all that, kid parents would drop their kids off next door and they come over they here come and, over here and have a couple beers. Come over here, have yep. a couple beers or buy some four packs to go or whatever. Yep. And I guess they found another location and they're they're moving, so Oh, the gym is moving. Yeah, they're that's what they're doing right now. They're loading up, some, loading oh, up stuff. I didn't know that. Yeah, they're getting out of town. I don't know where they're going. They might be staying in town, but they're they're leaving this location. Gotcha. Um, uh, Paul, um, 
thank you very much for being on yes, the podcast. Sir. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Yes, uh, first of all, I just enjoy just get to hang out with you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a fun. long time. It has been a while, but I, and I do mean that really sincerely. I really appreciate you Thanks, being buddy. on the podcast. Um, the you know we got just a couple minutes left. The mic is yours. Anything I'm guessing you would like to promote? Um, no, nah, nah, I'm good. No, you're good. You just cut it off here. Yeah, no, nah, we're good. <laughs> no, uh, I'm on most of the social medias. I don't mess around with Twitter, but you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Untapped. All under Illicit Works. Gotcha. Also have. Is that all together or with any underscores or anything like that? I just Google it. I don't. I don't remember how I've got them all set up. <laughs> I think Untapped is just Illicit Ales and mm-hmm. uh, Facebook and Instagram are definitely Illicit Works. Gotcha. Um, and then the website is just illicitlworks.com. Gotcha. Okay. And you can contact me on any of those if you want stickers, if you want glassware, if you want to try some beer. Hit me up. You know, I can put you. I, on, I can put you on a list. I, I would so hope that anybody listening would take Paul up on that offer. I've had more than a few of his beers. Um, they have all been superb, and I really enjoyed them. And I really can't wait for Illicit Aleworks to open up. Me too, man. Um, it's it's something I I, I I was talking to my wife about this in the car, and just going, I can't wait for that place to open up so that we have another spot that um, will feel like Cheers, kind of how this yeah, place feels I like wanted- Cheers. I want it to be that place where, you know, like smart assery is in no short supply. And mm-hmm. then as soon as you walk through the doors, you're already trying to plan your next trip back. Yeah. You know, that's what I want. And I think I could provide that. I mean, I'm pretty, pretty personable and pretty sarcastic when, when it needs to be or when I need to be. But, um, yeah, if you say something stupid, I'll call you out on it. I'll make light of it. We'll have fun with it. We'll but, have fun with it. you know, not like a Dick's Last Resort kind of thing, but. No, don't be that. No, I don't but, want to be that. No, no, don't be that. But, um, but I, I'll be the nicest asshole you've ever met. <laughs> well, Paul, thank you very much. I really appreciate Thanks, you coming sir. on the podcast. And uh, have yourself a good. And, Senor, cheers. I've got the last little bit of my Jarvis here. Prost. Yeah, this Prost. Jarvis is awesome. Mm. Bye-bye.